Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton of the International Culinary Center, and we're here today on Chef's Story with the great chef Jonathan Benno. Um, and I, I can't wait to start interviewing Jonathan. And one of my big questions in, in my mind about Jonathan is why he isn't a household name already. In our culinary world, you know, in the professional world, he's one of the the giants of chefs. And uh, right now, he is the executive chef, uh, and really, chef de cuisine, he's in there all the time, lunch and dinner. I see him, because if you walk down 65th Street in New York, you can look up and see that fantastic kitchen um, of Lincoln at Lincoln Center. It's an extraordinary restaurant. I think it's one of the most beautiful restaurants in New York City. If you're coming to New York City, you have to go there. But more importantly, it was named the number one of the 10 best new restaurants in America by Alan Richmond for GQ. And he also called it, if you know Alan, he's a curmudgeon. He's, he's the most decorated food writer in America. But he called it America's most intelligent Italian restaurant. And it, it, it truly, it truly is. Now, where did Jonathan Benno come from? I mean, and to create the most intelligent Italian restaurant? Well, if you didn't know, he was the opening chef of Per Se for Thomas Keller from uh, 2006, I think, to, and for six years. Or no, it was probably before that. And... Um, and he was the he was named a rising star chef by starchefs.com and when he was at per se he received a four star review from the new york times on its opening in 2005 he got the highest ranking new entry in london's restaurant magazine and seventh restaurant in the world he got best new restaurant from the james beard award three star michelin ratings i could go on i can go on uh, jonathan benno the gentle giant of the food world. Welcome. Well, thank you. Well, it's it's really great to finally get you here at Roberta's. I got him here with a pizza. So um, let's let's start. I mean, w- tell me, where did you grow up, and you know, what were your first? How did you enter into the food world here? What were your first food memories? I grew up in Southbury, Connecticut, which is a a small town right in the center of the state uh, in, a, in a series of the berries there along Interstate 84. And growing up, <clears throat> Southbury was, you know, predominantly farms. I mean, the, the, where my folks' house is uh, at the time, you know, growing up, was surrounded by farms. And uh, early food memories... You know, I was lucky enough to to grow up uh, at a time and 
in a family where, you know, we sat down for dinner, you know, every night at five, five thirty when my when my dad got home from work and uh we would the family, the extended family, grandmothers, you know, aunts and uncles would, would kind of come together on, you know, Sundays for supper and holidays. What kind of food? Amer- you know, American, American food. food. Uh, what was your favorite dish growing up? My <clears throat> grandmother on my father's side was really the, the cook in the mm. family. Mm. Uh, and... You know, some of she was she's Italian heritage, uh, and so I remember you know her eggplant parmesan, her kind of version of uh, chicken cacciatore. Uh, she was a was a tremendous baker, so her cakes and cookies and pies, you know, those are those are my earliest food, food memories. Memories. So I know you went to CIA. So what what drew you to go to culinary school, and what were, what was your vision for yourself at that time? When I was in high school, I, I kind of fell into the restaurant business. I, w- I went to high school with one of my classmates. Uh, his brother uh, owned, and I believe he and his wife still own, uh, a little restaurant in Oxford, Connecticut called the Oxford House. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was 15. I remember my, my mom had to drive me to work and pick me up because uh, obviously I didn't have my driver's Good license mom. yet. Uh, and I started, you know, a few nights a week washing dishes and peeling potatoes at the Oxford House restaurant in Oxford, Connecticut and worked in restaurants through high school. I didn't... Didn't really know what I wanted to do when I when I left high school. I knew I knew I didn't want to go to college. Uh, Were you working in the restaurant in high school for money or because you liked being around food? I liked. <laughs> well, I liked money. Uh, th- there was a there was a little of it to be had, um, mm-hmm. but I also you know at that age you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, I liked being out of the house at night and. Honest re- answer. Re- re- restaurant <laughs> restaurant work was somewhat of a legitimate uh, way to to get out of the house. Um, okay, so there wasn't this burning desire to had, be a chef. It really and had all of that. it really had nothing to do with, okay. or very little to do with the, the passion for cooking. Um, right. You know, it was it was getting out of the house um, and making a little bit of extra money. And mm-hmm. you know, at the time, you know, hanging out with older guys and drinking beer, and you know. I love it. I was, I was, okay. I was corrupted early. Mm-hmm. All right. So then, uh, so when did you go to the CIA? How old were you? Well, I left. I left high school and uh, with no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I wanted to to get out of Southbury, Connecticut, and so I moved out to Hawaii. Oh. And I took a my my first job out there was uh, was at the Hard Rock Cafe in Honolulu. And this was wait. What made you from Connecticut choose Hawaii? Another. <laughs> That's the other side of the world. Another another friend who who had grown up who grew up out there and uh, said to me, you know, why don't you you know why don't you come out for the summer and work and you know you can stay stay at my mom's house. His mother uh, his mother still lives out there, uh, and 
her my friend's name is Brendan. His mom, Sheila Donnelly, was actually a very, very uh, prominent uh, public relations person for hotels and restaurants in, in the Pacific at the time. And uh, one of her accounts was the Hard Rock Cafe. And so she got me a job there. I had, you know, little re- I had a little bit of restaurant experience. And so, you know, I was 18 years old and I was working at the, the Hard Rock Cafe in Honolulu. And that seemed in the kitchen. pretty cool. Yeah. You had a lot of fun. I, I can tell by the smile on hey, your face. You had a lot of fun. Maybe you had a little too much fun. <laughs> so what what brought you back from Honolulu? Well, I lived I lived there for about two and a half years, and uh, did you surf? I no. I, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't pick up. Uh, the local. Coming from Connecticut, coming from Southbury, <laughs> Connecticut to Honolulu, Hawaii, you don't you don't pick up surfing at. Did you at least get a tan? At eighteen or nineteen, I spent a lot of time at the beach. Okay. Um, watching people surf. Okay. And it was, <clears throat> it was in Hawaii where I realized that I really wanted to pursue this as a career, that I wanted to become a chef. Like I started taking it more seriously, and I worked, I worked for about a year at the Hard Rock Cafe. I worked at a fine dining restaurant uh, called the Black Orchid, and then I worked on the cruise ships for a while as oh. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <clears throat> this was right about the time. Long story short, this was right about the time the Gulf War started, and. Mm-hmm travel came to a screeching halt. So mm-hmm. I got laid off of the cruise ships and uh, you know, I found myself in Hawaii with a, a duffel bag and a little bit of money in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I remember I called my father up and I said, listen, you know, I'm thinking about moving back home. And he said, all right, when? I was like, well, I was going to go to the airport right now. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm moving back home right now. And then I came, so I came back to Connecticut and, uh, and that was when I, you know, Enrolled. I got into the CIA and I enrolled in the CIA. That's great. So then, um, what was your journey like when you graduated? Uh, I did my externship at the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia. And through that job, I got a job uh, when I went back to school at the the Mayflower Inn in Washington, Connecticut, working for a a chef named John Farnsworth. And uh, he was really the, the first mentor mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. uh, and when I <clears throat> when I finished school uh, I was work I was still working at, at the Mayflower Inn and uh, he said to me you know you you grew up here like you it's time to time to go like you got to go mm-hmm. go you know pick somewhere New York Chicago San Francisco like just go somewhere and work um, and San Francisco. So the fine dining really came in after at at the CIA at the Green Bar. Wait, wait, what was your mindset when you were at the CIA? Did you say I want to go out there and be the best chef in the world? What was a, a young student's mind like that then? You know, I wanted to, and I still do. I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn as much as I could at that time, and you know, I still feel that. Mm-hmm. I still feel that way today. Um, I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have a clear. The, the, I didn't, I, I didn't really choose my path. In mm-hmm. other words, I didn't, I didn't have in my mind that I wanted to go to New York City and work for Daniel Ballou at Le Cirque. I see. Because okay. I was, I remember, New York was certainly an option, but I was really, <laughs> I was really scared of New York. Mm-hmm. Like for some reason. 
moving out to San Francisco with no place to live and no job seemed more, I don't know, seemed easier than moving to to big, bad New York. And I don't don't know why that, I don't know why, but that was my decision to move to San Francisco with no job and and no place to live. And, uh, and you did that. I did that. And I was, you know, I found a, a place to live very easily and uh i was lucky enough to kind of walk in the back door of aqua restaurant and you know uh michael mina you know hired me on the spot wow that was it was that because of your education your i think it breathing had, at mayflower it had, no, it had nothing to do with me it you know had everything to do with you know an hour before i think he had thrown the the <laughs> garmage guy out of the restaurant and needed someone to to make salads that night okay so now what was it like working at aqua and was it different from the mayflower <clears throat> or from the east coast east coast west coast cooking people People always say that you know, Aqua was like a New York restaurant in San Francisco, and it was really. You know, Aqua was like the first really kind of big, high-profile, busy, really really hard place to work. Um, I remember that being one of the hardest jobs I ever had in my career. Just, really? Because at that time, Aqua was. Aqua was, you know, probably one of the one of the hottest restaurants, you know, in, restaurants in the country, and it was it was packed every day for for lunch and for dinner, and it was a small small kitchen um, doing, you know, very very ambitious food, mm. um, and it was really really busy, really really intense. Um, How long did you stay? I was there for I was there for about a year and a half. And you got out of God Manger, I take it. And yeah, that, that's was, the that's like the appetizer prep station if you're listening out there. I was I was lucky enough to kind of work my way <laughs> the hard way around the around the different stations in the kitchen. And there was a, a sous chef there, uh, a guy named Mark LaRusso, who had worked for Thomas Keller at Checkers in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And about a year and a half into Aqua, you know, Mark I, I became friends with Mark, and, and he really um, he took good care of me there. And, and he said to me, like, listen, you're really like you've you know you've worked all the stations. Mm-hmm. Like, it's time for you to go find mm-hmm. another job. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, I think you should you know I think you should go up and trail um, with uh, a chef that I used to work for in Los Angeles, Thomas Keller, who's opening a restaurant in Napa Valley. Uh, and I think it's going to be pretty special. Uh, I think you really. I remember Mark saying, "Like, I think you'll really, I think you'll really get along with, with Thomas." Mm. And so, uh, I had a motorcycle at the time, and I, I remember driving my motorcycle up there, and trailing for a for a day. And uh, you know, the chef said, "Thank you very much. Uh, you know, we're just getting started. You know, I, I'll be sure to." be sure to call you when you know when when we need somebody and it was you know a few weeks went by and you know the chef called mark and said listen you know i'm ready i'm ready i can take john now like when when can you let him go and i you know i finished up at aqua and i you know moved up to napa and uh you know i started as a a comi how how long had french laundry been open by that time it had been open probably for about six months when i got there 
Wow. Okay, well, we're going to take a little break here, and uh, when we come back, we're going to get on that chapter of your life's journey. Thanks, Jonathan. grass-fed beef pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef free-range, sustainably produced humane Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef the authentic flavor of the American West Well, welcome back. This is Chef's Story with Dorothy Can Hamilton, and today my guest is Jonathan Benno, the executive chef of Lincoln at Lincoln Center in New York City. And we're just tiptoeing through his life here, and he's, we just finished by saying he took a job at the newly opened French Laundry in Napa Valley, in Yonville. And Jonathan, welcome back. And so tell me, what was it like in the first six months of the French Laundry up in Napa Valley? When you, when you look at the, the kitchenette per se today, you look at the kitchen at the French Laundry, Bouchon, you know, all the, all the things that, all the remarkable things that the chef has done in the course of the past 20 years, um, the, the French Laundry, and it, <laughs> it reminds me, Roberta's kind of reminds me a little bit of where we started at the French Laundry. Really? And uh, I have a bunch of fo- old photographs of the, the French Laundry from 20 years ago kind of stuck into the, my first copy of the French Laundry cookbook. Um, and the, the, the very first, the original kitchen at the French Laundry was where the, the salon or reception area um, of the restaurant is today. And it was literally a wooden table um, in the center of a small room with uh, two stoves. And the chef uh, and Ron Siegel, uh, the chef was the meat cook. Ron was the fish cook. There was one person on the garmage and there was one person in the pastry. And I worked in the morning doing prep with Mm -hmm. another guy, um, actually uh, Amy Sherber's brother. Really? (laughs) John and I. uh, And, you know, the chef would like, you know, he'd start... You know, pointing at the clock at four forty-five. Now, the chef we're talking about is Thomas Keller, right. and I, I think it's really great that you refer to him as the chef. Do you, you always, always, he's been the chef for twenty years. He'll always be the, the chef. chef. Uh, you know, he would he would chase us out of there. He'd make us clean and chase us out of there at five o'clock. We'd have to like finish prep like on the you know outside the restaurant uh, because 
you know, guests were coming and service was beginning at 530. And, and they was, needed the space. They needed the space because that, that, that wooden prep table became, you know, the pass mm-hmm. during the service. Mm. That's so. Uh, so you were working really hand hand to hand with Thomas Keller and the other the other chefs there. What was the food like in the in the very beginning? It was, it was you know if you look at the French Laundry cookbook, that was that really was, that was from day one. That was that was the food. You know the menu was much. Uh, <laughs> I always I always joke with the chef that you know he when he hired me. He started the tasting menu at the French Laundry, and that <laughs> had nothing to do with my culinary ability at the time, but it had everything to do with you know having an extra set of hands to prep during the day to do the, the, the mise en place necessary to do the tasting menu. Was the restaurant immediately successful, or did some nights you sit there twiddling your thumbs, praying they would come? I think the that that hard time was in the the very very beginning um by the time i got there uh the restaurant was full most most evenings evenings. and it had already started with its reputation so you didn't stay there let's get because you you you're going to circle back with the thomas keller group what did what how long were you there and then where did you go i worked there for i worked there for about a year uh and during that year the chef built an addition to the restaurant which is where the the kitchen is today. Mm-hmm. So we went from this tiny little kitchen to a larger kitchen that enabled him to to do lunch mm-hmm. at at the French Laundry as well. And then uh I started getting restless in Napa and the chef uh mm-hmm. was able to get me a job at uh with Daniel Ballou at Daniel. The original Daniel where Cafe Ballou is today. Mm-hmm. Oh, back then, and who right. was the chef? That was it. Andrew was there. No, 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 that no. was uh, that was a pretty remarkable. That was a, a pretty stellar team. You know, mm-hmm. it was like the Yankees because uh, it was <laughs> chef Danielle was was at the pass every day for lunch and dinner, right. and then it was uh, it was Alex Lee. Oh, Alex Lee, Riyad right. Nasser. Oh, Riyad at Balthazar. Lee, yeah. Lee Hansen. <laughs> Lee Hansen Balthazar and, and, and Philippe Bertrano. Oh my so there was gosh. those yeah. five guys at the pass, oh. um, and you, you know, you talked about uh, the segment that you did with Michael Anthony earlier. Yeah. I stood. Michael cooked fish. Oh no! At lunch, and I stood right behind him on the the Garmage station. Oh my god! I always told Danielle he ran the graduate school. You know, the Harvard Business School. <laughs> there, of cooking, and there are a lot of a lot of, of alums. Really, really talented people that came out of that kitchen really so and then where did you go uh, and then i went to work for christian deluvier at the les celebrités in the essex house hotel he's a brilliant chef yeah that yeah. was a that was a a great a great time mm-hmm. um really really a small small kitchen um obviously very french very yeah, very, very french Trey francaise uh it was, you know, a, a, a small little luxury jewel box in a hotel. Now, did Danielle tell you to go there and arrange that for you? No, <laughs> no. no. Can I ask about? He told me not to go there. Um, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so why did you? For for a lot of for a lot of different reasons. I mean, um, Christian had an amazing reputation and delicious food. Yeah, it's, and it was a, 
it was a a special plate like those those luxury restaurants and hotels they don't really they don't exist anymore mm-hmm. um and you know the the ingredients that he was bringing in and mm-hmm. um it was a it was a special little little place okay so then where did you go for and that? then i went to go work for tom colicchio gramercy tavern oh my gosh this is like you know so and gramercy tavern and it was based in those days was as as product sensitive or technique sensitive because tom i think in more in terms of technique and michael anthony now the chef there i think has the technique but is very product sensitive too yeah but it was it was it was both mm-hmm. 15 years ago i mean mm-hmm. Uh, Modesto Batista, Batista, who's still the the head steward, doesn't do his role justice. Um, mm-hmm. But he, you know, 15 years ago, he was rolling the carts down to the green market and coming back with mm. produce. Mm. 15 years ago, uh, you know, whole rabbits and lambs and you know rack of veal were were coming in the back door at Gramercy Tavern. Wait a minute. So this is sounding to me like living in London, being a musician with Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, you know, it's just the hottest people on earth. And it, it you know, it sounds being in New York with all of these uh, colleagues and cooks. Well, what did it feel like? Did you go out drinking afterwards? Did you what did you talk about? Did you ne- never or no, never out drinking. There were never drugs. It was just, you know, 100 percent. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> focused on cuisine. <laughs> no, it was really, you know. Did you know these guys were going to be incredible, like yourself? Or, I you knew. Know? I knew they. I knew they were incredible at the time, um, and could only believe that, you know, these that they were going to go out and do, you know, remarkable things. Yeah. Yeah, just a little side note on the drugs and the drinking. You know, when Tony Bourdain's book came out, Kitchen Confidential, and it looked like, you know, just one free rock and roll ride the whole time, Jacques Pepin said to me, are you kidding? He said, you know, yes, people do that, but they don't survive. Cooking is such a hard physical day-in, day-out work that you can only do that when you're very young. And if you you want to survive in this industry, you've got to straighten out pretty soon. You can get away with it for a little while when you're yeah. younger, but yeah. you're right. You can't you can't sustain that lifestyle and no. and 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 manage manage just, a brilliant just, career. Not just yeah. your personal life, but your but your career. Career, yeah. So okay, so now uh, Gramercy Tavern. How long were you there? What was your position? Uh, I worked there for about two and a half years. I was lucky enough to kind of move through the the stations in the kitchen, and I was really lucky. Uh, to spend a year with Claudia Fleming in the, the pastry kitchen. Oh, the kitchen. pastry. I love her. I love her desserts. Yeah. And yeah, still, that would really, not that, you know, I, I work service for, I was able to do production for a little while, but I work service for, for most of the time. But for, you know, for a chef to have <clears throat> that experience and just a, you know, kind of a, a fundamental you know, basic knowledge of, of pastry production and service. Um, I, I'm so glad that, that I had that opportunity. Mm. Um, and most importantly, that opportunity to, to work pastry a year with Claudia. Uh, absolutely. So, um, but after that, you went, you went to Kraft yep. as sous chef. And then you made full circle back to French Laundry. 
Yeah, I was I was a sous chef at Kraft with, uh, you know, working for for Tom and Marco. Uh, <laughs> David Chang was a reservationist there at the no, time. No, really? Yeah, that was how he got that was how he got his foot in the door. Um, you know, Marco said no, you know, so many times, and David, being as stubborn as he is, yeah. wouldn't take no for an answer. So he w- he was. He was either going to FCI at the time or had just finished FCI and uh, took a part-time job as a, as a reservationist just to get his foot in the door, um, yeah, prove, they, prove Marco wrong. And then, uh, you know, he found his way into the kitchen and fantastic. You know, the, rest is, R- rest the rest is, is history. Is history. So, you know, um, let's get back to how you got back to the French Laundry because... You know, uh, you eventually became the opening chef of Per Se. And one of the quotes from Thomas Keller that I just find spectacular is, and this is Thomas speaking, whenever I look at one of Jonathan's dishes at Per Se, I immediately feel a connection to it, even if I didn't create it. I see a lot of myself in him, actually. That drive, that ambition, that quality of workmanship, and his modesty. I think modesty is so important. I think if any of our uh, listeners out there, you're listening to this. Jonathan just keeps deflecting, you know, all the greatness. But he is the gentle giant I, uh, of a chef here. Um, what was it like? Why did you go back to the French Laundry? And what was it like? And how did you become the opening chef of Per Se? And we're going to have to break in a, in a couple of minutes. So why don't you just tell us how you got back to the French Laundry? And when we come back, we'll see what your defining, uh, defining vision was for Per Se. Uh, there was a there was an article in the New York Times announcing the 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 project at Time Warner, and I remember there was a photograph of Jean Georges and uh, the chef in hard oh. hats looking at Columbus Circle. And I as soon as I remember seeing the article, and I called the chef and I said, "Listen, you know, I would really like the opportunity to to work with you again if you come back to New York if." Uh, when you know when when the restaurant in New York opens, and he said, you know, thank you, um, you know, well, let's talk about it some more. And we, we talked about it some more for about I don't know six months, probably six months to a year. And then uh, you know he let he, I guess, invited uh, me back to to work at the French Laundry uh, to prove myself to see if I was the right. Candidate to open, per se. So, what was your position at the French Laundry when you went back? <sighs> Butcher, baker, candlestick maker. I did. I did a little bit of everything um, for the first year, um, and then kind of assumed the role of a sous chef. Like I, I took a, I was, you know, I was, I was doing the fish order. I was expediting. The lunch service as sous chef. As sous chef, Thomas was the chef. Thomas was the chef. Eric Zebold, chef de cuisine. cuisine. Okay, um, and then you as sous chef. Gregory Short, myself, and uh, Mark Hopper. Those, mm-hmm. That was the, the that team. was the team. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Ruxell, the pastry chef. Mm. Great. Okay. Well, we're going to take a break here. We're going to come back and talk about per se.
foodradionetwork.org is the most trusted media outlet for real, quality conversations about food. That experience will come to life at our first annual members-only fundraiser party on September 9th from 5 to 8 p.m. at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Enjoy the best food in the world from talent including Michael Anthony, award-winning chef from Gramercy Tavern, Brooks Headley, award-winning pastry chef from Del Posto, Shauna Pacifico at Back 40 West, sustainable seafood from Sea to Table, and much more, including drinks made by Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues, craft beer from Greenpoint Harbor Brewery, wine from Cane Vineyard and Winery in the Napa Valley, and plenty more. Radio is back, and this will be a special, exclusive experience in the back garden of Roberta's that you don't want to miss. September 9th, 5 to 8 p.m. Buy tickets at heritageradionetwork.eventbrite.com. Well, welcome back. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton, and you're listening to Chef's Story. And today, my guest is Jonathan Benno, the executive chef of Lincoln Restaurant at Lincoln Center in New York City. And um, we're talking about his journey uh, there. And we are just getting back to when he has become the opening chef of Per Se in New York City. So, Jonathan, tell us. So you... You spent your years at the French Laundry, and Chef Thomas Keller thought, okay, you could do it. What, how did he come to you? What, did, what were your thoughts going through your mind? And what was it, what was your vision for Per Se? We, you know, the team that opened that restaurant, uh, Per Se, I guess the goal... The goal was, and, I, and I, I believe the goal still is today, you know, to bring that level of, you know, product-driven refinement that is so special about the French Laundry to New York. So it's different from the French Laundry. Well, it's different in that, you know, the French Laundry is a is a, a beautiful little farmhouse, you know, amidst the the vineyards of Napa Valley. I mean, per se is this massive restaurant in, you know, the Time Warner Center, Mm. you know, that looks out over Central Park. So when Food & Wine named you Best New Chef in 2006, the quote was, because he prepares clever, indulgent food that complements his boss, Thomas Keller's, but is completely his own. So tell me how, what, how did you collaborate with, did chef just let you create your dishes? Did you have to take him in mind? You were the head of the kitchen. You were there day to day. He wasn't. I was, you know, I, I was the head of the kitchen. You know, I was the, I was the chef de cuisine at per se for six years. Um, and I was, you know, I was surrounded by really, really talented people. And, you know, any, you know, any team, you know, it's not about, it's not just about Tom Brady. It's about the Patriots, right? It's about the coach, Bill Belichick. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big Patriots fan. So I had to get that, I had to get that in there. Um, so I had, you know, my coach, I had Thomas Keller. Um, I was the chef de cuisine. But I also had, you know, guys like Corey Lee um, in the beginning uh, to help, 
you know, drive this thing. Oh, who um, made the menu? We did. As a know, team. As a team. But there, you were the leader. So then, if there you know, was a play you didn't like, you struck it out. And if you, there was a play you thought you should play. So where did you, where did you come down? Because it was your cuisine. And you're doing your cuisine at Lincoln, a very different restaurant. But where did it start forming? When did you feel your comfort level? I think when we, you know, when we got through the, the review process and, and things kind of settled and the restaurant started to, to run, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, an aspect of per se that <clears throat> a lot of people really don't know about is that that restaurant also has, you know, private dining room for 75. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we ran the, <clears throat> the 15 table dining room up front, but we also had this private dining room for 75 that, you know, was very, very busy. Um, so it was a really, that restaurant is a, is a monster. Um, Mm. it's really big and busy and there's a lot happening. Um, you know, there's even more happening there today with, you know, Bouchon Bakery. Oh, that's right. On the floor below. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have that cafe outside. Okay, so when did when did Jonathan Benno's cuisine? Because let's let's get on to Lincoln. Because I want to get into your cuisine. Lincoln is a very extraordinary. What did Alan Richmond mean by intelligent in Italian food? Tell me what your cuisine is today. <laughs> he was being very very generous. Yeah. Um, you know we, <clears throat> you know we. The goal I think at Lincoln is to take a very traditional cuisine and that is Italian cuisine and bring it to you know a very very modern very dynamic setting at you know Lincoln Center you know there's a lot there's a lot going on you know just that restaurant um, is in a very very unique location in that you know this is the first time that I've ever worked at a restaurant that did you know a full turn quote, pre-theater, you know, before 7.30. You know, a normal, in my mind, like a normal service between 7.30 and 10 Mm o'clock. And then, you know, on a lot of nights, uh, like a post-theater seating. So tell me about one dish at the restaurant now that reflects you. Uh... Or that you love. I really, I'm sure you love them all. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I, I really, I like all the dishes. Um, so we started, uh, well, there's two really. And one of them is we do a, you know, we didn't serve a lot of pasta at the French Laundry and uh, per se, but one kind of signature pasta um, that the chef has always done is Agnolotti mm. from Piedmont. You know, the chef was there um, and spent some time in kitchens there a while back um, and has always done Agnolotti. So, like, nostalgia, like, that's a, that's an, that pasta shape has great significance for me. Mm. And the general manager of the restaurant, Paolo Novello, is from Piedmont. So there's a, oh. there's a connection there. And I've been lucky enough to go to Piedmont a couple of times with him. Um, so we do a, a corn annulotti, um, which is a variation on a corn annulotti that we did um, 
at the French Laundry in Per Se with summer tr- truffles and uh, stracciatella that, mm. we, that we make at the, the restaurant. So that's a great uh, a dish that I'm, that I'm very, very proud of. And, you know, obviously you put corn, summer truffles, and stracciatella together. Very, very popular at the restaurant. And uh, another dish that uh, we're actually going to start doing again, we just started doing a regional uh, doing, ch- choosing a region of Italy and doing three or four dishes from that region. And it's kind of in a separate area of the rest of the menu. And we're doing, we're doing Calabria now. So mm. we have a, you know, four dishes, uh, from Calabria. And one of them is a kind of a grilled piece of store, swordfish that's stewed in tomatoes with capers and olives. Mm. So we buy in the, the loin of swordfish and you know we we kind of take the belly off of the swordfish, and then we uh, we we brine it, and then we kind of rub it with uh, like a pretty traditional pastrami rub, juniper, coriander, black pepper, um, and we're actually going to start serving it tonight with uh, pickled green tomatoes and purslane and a bunch of mm. summery green market things. So you know that's. One, you know, really proud of the the, the regional dishes, the, yeah. and then you know, taking, you know, being a smart cook, a smart chef, you know, taking a a, a lesser cut of something like the swordfish belly, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then doing something, coming up with something really special mm-hmm. to to do to do with that. Right. So, did you? When you went to Lincoln, did they say to you, the patina group you're working with now, did they say what kind of cuisine? Because with the word Lincoln, it could be anything. I mean, you don't put Italian <laughs> food, and it's basically an Italian wrist. You know, you mo- it's an Italian menu. Did you always want to do an Italian menu? You didn't work. You worked at all these French restaurants. How did Italian come about, and has this been something you've always wanted to do? <clears throat> About probably about four or five years into per se, you know, I started thinking about what what's next or what could possibly be next. And uh, I've always been really passionate about Italian food. Uh, my wife um, has worked for for Joe and Mario uh, on and off for gosh over Mario Batali, over ten years. And Babo yeah, I mean, and she all of this. Yeah. she opened Babo. Um, mm-hmm and then came to work with us at Kraft. That's where we met. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, just recently left Italy. So... <laughs> to be the mother of your two children. Be, you know, we have <laughs> for a really hard job uh, yes, uh, right. to be the, the, the mother of our, our two daughters. Um, and, you know, we always joke that, you know, she's a better, she's a better Italian cook than I am um, because of her, you know, her background. Uh, I've always loved... Italian cuisine. I've always loved going to Italy. You know the the the, the people, the, the different the different places that so, I've been. So when you made the leap from Per Se to to Lincoln, was it because you could do Italian food, or what? It was time to go out on your own. What, what I, I felt I felt it was time. Mm-hmm. Um, although there are there are times when I miss. Um, <laughs> you know, I was I was we did an I did an event a while back with. Uh, Missy Robbins and we were 
talking, and you know, she left uh, Spiaggia to come to New York, mm-hmm. and uh, she really said it best. You know, she said, uh, you know, there there are times when I really miss having a mentor, and you know, I feel I feel the same way at times. You know, there are there are times when I really miss having Thomas Keller, you know, standing behind me or having, you know, or, or you know, picking up the phone and, uh, you know, touching base with him as, as we would often do mm-hmm. when I was at, per se. I knew I wanted to do something different. Um, I knew that I would be measured by, per se, and um, I really wanted to do I really wanted to do Italian, you know, to, well, you've to done focus it. on yeah. Italian food. To be, you know, the best new Italian restaurant in the country by Alan Richman and intelligent <laughs> Italian food. You are making your mark and you're making, you know, you talk so modestly about, you know, your sword, swordfish, but it is so different. Your agnolotti is so light. It's like putting pillows in your mouth. I mean, the execution is extraordinary. And you sit here like, oh, well, it's... You know, just the next next uh, step. I there's I think this foment around you of greatness and and it's it's so it comes across so gently. I don't want our listeners out there to mistake that for there's this incredible passionate cuisine coming out of your hands and your taste. And uh, I think everyone, if you haven't been to Lincoln, you you really have to get there. So we're going to have to end pretty soon, but I have, a, I have to ask you, you know, um, are you going to just stay in Italian cuisine? I mean, you have so much uh, ability. I'm not talking about uh, now he's not leaving Lincoln or anything like that, but in the future, five, <laughs> ten years from now, is there something in the back of your mind saying, you know, one day I will? One, one day I will. Um, you know, being a... Being a chef, being a cook, you know, is is an evolution. And, you know, I remember working at the Oxford House restaurant in Connecticut, washing dishes and watching the, the two chefs cook. And I was amazed at how many different things they would touch during the course of a day and how many different things that they would do. Um, and I still feel that way today. Like I there's a lot that I still feel like there's a lot. I have to learn and there's a lot of things that I still want to do and there's just not you know there's just not enough time Um, in the day so if I could say Jonathan I'm going to babysit the kids you take your wife Elizabeth (laughs) and I will put you down anywhere for a meal tonight in anywhere in the world where would it be well I'll I'll definitely take you up on the offer to babysit but (laughs) you know you were able to lure me out to Bushwick with, you know, the promise of, of spending, you know, part of the afternoon with you, but also, uh, you know, eating a pizza, the, the, the opportunity to eat at Roberta's, which I'm embarrassed to say I haven't done so yet. Uh So, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm sorry that my wife isn't here. Um, Mm -hmm. and I may catch hell for coming here without her, but I'm glad that, you know, we were able to do this and I'm glad that, you know, I was able to to get a lunch at Roberta's. I don't want to end this on this note, but you are a cheap date if this is the only place I have. And I would say it's a world-class, it's a world-class restaurant. Well, I, let me say once again, um, 
Jonathan Benno is a gentle giant of a chef in our profession. And Lincoln is one of the great new restaurants in New York City. If you haven't been there, you have to get there and eat this really delicious, very, very unique Italian food. And I want to thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. And let's go eat the pizza. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.